So I've been spending a lot of time in Genesis over the past month. Um, typically, I guess when you start a Bible reading plan, that's what happens. I'm sure many of y'all are in your time alone with the Lord, uh, reading Genesis as well, or maybe just finishing it, moving on to Exodus at this point. But we've also been going through it on Wednesday nights, and I have loved the time that we have spent on Wednesdays of just diving into God's Word. And, and as I've looked at Genesis, it answers so many big questions. It, it deals with just worldview issues that shape everything else. In fact, this chapter right here uh, is called uh, the acorn because the oak tree is coming out of it. Like we're going to get a glimpse of the gospel from the very beginning right here in Genesis chapter 3. And it's just going to be growing to its full extent throughout the rest of the Bible. But in the first two chapters, we've really seen some big issues dealt with. We see in the beginning, God. We see him as eternal, as all-powerful, as, uh, as one who's in perfect triune relationship together. Like God has always been, he has no rival, and there is no one who compares to him. And then we see that he is the creator. He spoke the world into being. He filled it and he formed it and made it into uh, the beautiful creation that we get a glimpse of today. And he made male and female in his image and made them to complement one another. And with the value of, of his image placed on every human life from the womb all the way to the tomb, that there is value in who he made us to be. So just incredible truths through the first two chapters of Genesis. But today we look at what went wrong. Today, as, as I get the opportunity to look at Genesis chapter 3, I was so excited to, to share this on Wednesday night, but instead I get to share it with you, and I'm excited about that. And as we look at it, we realize why the world is broken, why there is pain, why there is suffering, why there is heartache, why there is all the issues that we see, that we all experience. It is all here, and the world is so broken, duct tape can't even fix it. But God doesn't leave it at that. He doesn't just leave us in the problems and the pain and the suffering, but we also get to see in Genesis chapter 3 his solution. And so if you will, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word as we read through the majority of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have, not, have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, how we can trust it, how we can take it, apply it to our lives and to our hearts, Lord. Help us to do that now that you will be glorified in all that is said and how we respond. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. It's a long text of scripture, but in that text, it really plays out in three parts. It's a narrative. It's a story that many of us know the story, but we can miss some of the details because of our familiarity with it. We've become so used to it. We know the big ideas, but as we really dive down into it, we can see this movement in three parts is taking place. The first part that I want us to notice here is the schemes of the serpent. The schemes of the serpent. We have to realize, we, we don't really know where he came from, but we know what he is coming to do. It tells us in John 10.10 10, that he is coming to steal and kill and destroy, that that is his purpose in his life. He is wanting to bring destruction on all of us. And that's what he's wanting to do with Adam and with the woman here. He is coming wanting to separate them from their fellowship with God. He is a created being and his schemes have not changed. He, he continues to do the same thing. He doesn't create anything new. All he does is twist what God has already created and made good. And instead, he takes it and, and, and takes it out of the proper context or, or corrupts it or mars it or whatever it is to bring us destruction and separate us from fellowship with him. I think it's so important that we look at this text to understand what he does so that we can fight those temptations ourselves. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was reading a story. I love history. Uh, just uh, History major has always been interesting to me. But I was reading a story about the Revolutionary War. And Washington was able to defeat Cornwallis and Benedict Arnold uh, at Yorktown to really kind of wrap up the war. And he did it in an incredible way where he hardly lost any soldiers throughout that entire battle. It was just great military achievement. But we often miss the important name of James Armstead. James Armstead was a runaway slave who actually was inside British headquarters. They trusted him. They thought that he was going to be, he could give them the layout of the land. He could tell them everywhere that they should go in order to be effective in their movements. And what they didn't know was that he was reporting all the British movements and schemes and plans back to Washington and the American troops. And so Washington is able to overcome the British, even though he's outmanned, outnumbered, all of that, because he knew the schemes of the ones he was trying to defeat. Well, today we get the playbook, we get to look, we get inside the huddle to see the schemes of Satan and how he's trying to defeat us and bring us to destruction. The first thing that he does is he brings, he twists or manipulates the word of God. Twist or he manipulates it. Look at the very uh, beginning there. He said to the woman, this is midway through verse 1. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Like you hear the, the, almost the, the sarcasm in the voice. The, you know, we've all asked that question before. We've known the answer to the question, but, but we're asking it anyways. And that's what Satan's doing here. The serpent says, did he actually say that? Is, is that what God said? Just that slight twist to create a little bit of doubt there of the veracity of God's truth. And then he goes on to say, of any tree in the garden. We need to put that in context. We need to understand what God actually did command, right? So f- look back just a little bit to chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, this is what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did you catch what God said there? God didn't say that you can't eat from any tree. God said, look, eat from every tree except for the one. But do you hear the twist and the manipulation that the serpent brings there trying to manipulate the the woman there and say, look, you can, God God is doing, you know, don't, don't worry about that. Don't trust God. Listen, did he really say those things? And he comes right out in verse four and he denies what Christ said or what God said. In verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Just complete. Okay, so now, now the woman is left with a choice to either trust what the serpent is saying or trust what God said. You know, she's been passively kind of listening. She's interacting. There's even concern with one of her responses here at the beginning. When he asked about not eating any tree in the garden, the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But did God ever tell them not to touch the tree? She's adding to it. She's, she's trying to add these commands on top of what God had given her for her good. She's passively listening. She's engaging with him. What does Jesus do when he's tempted? He quotes back exactly scripture, doesn't he? He, he puts it right back into its place. Either that or when Peter tries to give him a more comfortable way, what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. He lays it down quick. He lays it down fast. He's not entertaining the thought. Instead, he is choosing to, to trust God and his promises. But here, Eve, the woman, is entertaining the idea that, who am I going to trust here? Am I going to trust the serpent's word or am I going to trust God's word? His second scheme is to doubt God's goodness. To doubt God's goodness. Look at what he continues to say in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, he's trying to say that God is holding back something for you that would be for your good. That's what the serpent, that's the scheme of the serpent right there. He's trying to, to put this doubt that God's goodness is there, and that God is holding something, that he just doesn't want her to be like God. But the truth is she's already made in God's image, isn't she? She's already, that's what his creation is from the very beginning, that she is made in God's image. But God has been so good to Adam and to the woman, to Eve, but she's missing that. Think about the Garden of Eden. They have the one tree that she's told that they're told not to eat from. But you have all these other trees throughout the entire garden with all this fruit, with any provision that they could possibly want that's delicious and, and looks great. And I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place that God has placed them in and has given them roles and, and everything for them to do there. But what is she focused on on this moment? She's focused on the one tree. And she's missing all of the blessings that God has given and instead focusing on the one thing that he's told her not to eat. And he's told her that for her protection. But she's not seeing that. Instead, she's starting to doubt God's goodness. The last thing that he does is he makes sin look appealing and hides the consequences. So, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. You see that? It looked appealing. Really, the perfect example for this, and I don't go fishing much, but the perfect example for this is just a fishing lure, right? On the outside, it looks great. On the outside, it looks like it's appealing. It's exactly what you want. But as soon as you take a bite of it, that hook is there that is going to, to bring destruction to you. It, it's hidden. You don't know the consequences, but yet it looks appealing. Sin often looks that way. 
we look at sin and it looks like it could be something that you want, that it could bring joy or happiness or fulfillment. But yet, once you bite into it, you realize the destruction that you brought on you and on the people around you. That this is not actually what it's pretending to be, that there is issues that it's going to bring up and pain and suffering. You're, you're missing the whole picture. So what are the consequences of sin? What do we see in this chapter that really draws out what happened because they choose to rebel? I think one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible takes place in verse 8. If you're looking at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, I think it's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture because this is what it says. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, why is that sad? I want you to notice something. The first thing we're seeing here is the shame of sin. The shame of it. And why that is so sad is because if you read the first part of that verse, they hear him walking in the garden and they recognize that it's him. They realize that he is the one, that God is walking in the garden. And where there once was joy and peace and excitement, it is no longer there. Instead, there is shame and hiding. They're running from his presence. It's kind of like this, all right? So I have four kids, right? My youngest one yesterday, my wife had gone out to run an errand very quickly. And it is amazing. As soon as that garage door goes up, she, like, like, she's just pulling into the driveway, and I'm holding our two-year-old, and he is almost jumping out of my arms because he is so excited that he's like, Mama! He's, like, pointing at the window, jumping up and down, doing everything he can to get out of my arms because he's so excited to go see his mom. There is joy. There is peace. There is exuberance that is found there. And that's what Adam and Eve had with God. When he walked in the garden with them and he talked with them and they had this perfect relationship that was just full of peace and excitement because the God who created them was in that perfect relationship with them. But what happens here? Instead of excitement that they get to go and be in the presence of God, they find their shame and they're hiding from him. They're distancing themselves. They're separating themselves from him. The shame that comes, they cover themselves with fig leaves trying to hide themselves. So sad to think about the joy that they had and the shame that came. But it doesn't just end with the shame of sin. It also has the blame of sin. As you continue reading here, all right, their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now watch this. The man said, the woman who you, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. All right, do you see the blame of sin that's going on there? As soon as God asked them what has happened, what is their natural reaction? That finger pointing starts really quick, doesn't it? Now, if any of you are parents, I know there's a lot of parents out here, and you have more than one kid, you've seen this before, right? You all, Just yesterday, I was walking through my living room, and um, John August and Dempsey, my two oldest, they were, they were wrestling. But every time they wrestle, it ends up with somebody getting hurt. Is that just my kids, or is that everybody else's too? Like, there tends to be tears at some point, and that's when the wrestling stops. I thought with a guy and a girl, it'd be a little bit different. That didn't happen. But... It always happens that way. They're wrestling and they're fighting and everything. So I walk there. I'm like, guys, you'll have to stop wrestling, okay? Walk out of the room to go take care of something else. And I come back, and you'll never guess what was happening when I came back through. <laughs> they were wrestling again, right? And so I get on to them. I tell them it's time to stop. You know, I told you to stop already. What is their natural response in that moment? He did it. She hit me first. He grabbed my arm too tight. It is amazing how quick we are to blame somebody else for the sin in our own life, isn't it? I was listening to Vody Balkum uh, talk about this issue on, on original sin. And, um, you know, he said that we talk about young kids and, we, oh, they're just such sweet little angels. And he's like, no, they're not sweet little angels. They're vipers and diapers. <laughs> like, we have this sin nature from the very, very beginning that we have to be mindful of. That we see in our kids from two to, you know, even before that. There is this sin nature and this, this desire within us to point fingers at somebody else. Our issue with sin is not an external issue. Our issue with sin is a heart issue. It is within every single one of us. We have to be mindful of that. The shame of sin, the blame of sin. We also see the curse of sin. We see the impact that sin has, not just in the garden, but in our world today. Pandemics, cancer, murder, wars, broken families, like all of these things, it all starts right here in Genesis chapter 3. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, that is creation groaning to be restored back to what it was originally meant to be, back to what it was like in the Garden of Eden. That is the curse of sin. As you read through this passage, you see that through man having to work the ground and the thorns and the thistles that have grown up for the first time at that point because of creation being marred by sin or the pain of childbirth that takes place as well. We see this shame and this blame and, and the curse that is just wreaking havoc all over the world that we live in, in our families, in our lives. And if we left it right there, if we left it that that's the end, then that would be a really sad state of affairs. That would leave us in despair and wanting for, for something more and not knowing where to find it. But God doesn't leave it there even in Genesis 3. In Genesis chapter 3, God still provides a solution for the problem of sin that has taken place so far in what we've read. He does it in a couple of ways. One, I love the fact that when God enters the garden, what does he do? He seeks for them. He 
He's walking through the garden, and what's the question that he asks? Where are you? God knew where they were. God knew that they were hiding. He knew that the, the sin had taken place, that they were in rebellion at that point. But it was his way of reaching out in his goodness to them. Where are you? If you are in Christ, then you've responded to that at some point. That at some point, you were in your sin. At some point, you were in rebellion. At some point, you were committing treason against a holy God and a king of kings. And the king of kings has come to you and said, where are you? While you were hiding in your shame and in your sin, God was seeking. Knocking at the door of your heart, asking you to repent of your sin and turn to him. While you are still sinners, Christ died for you. If you're still in that sin, maybe God is asking you that question right now. Maybe he is calling out to you to turn from your sin and turn to him. When God addresses the sin, he asks questions to give them a chance to respond and to repent. Not only is it the where are you, but he's asking, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? He's asking these questions, wanting them to churn from their sin at that moment. They are gracious questions, aren't they? But in the stubbornness and the hardness of their heart, they, they don't accept that invitation to confess their sin. Instead, they continue the shame and the blame. Are we confessing our sin? Because we realize that 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, that he is just and he will forgive us of it. That offer is still here for us today. That we can turn from our sin and turn to trust in him. Which is an incredible act of grace. Now he addresses the three of them specifically, right? He addresses the serpent first, then the woman and then Adam. But only one of them does he curse specifically. Now, the other two, Adam and the woman, he, he tells of the curse that is to come with, with the things around them. But the serpent is different. If you look at what he says to the serpent, he says in verse 14, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You see, when God curses the serpent, he is foreshadowing the victory that he has to come because he is victorious over sin and over death. He curses the serpent. He says what is going to happen there, that there will be struggle between the woman and the serpent. And we see this theme kind of glimpses of it throughout all of Scripture. 
See it throughout the Old Testament to the New Testament. You see it in Exodus when Aaron's staff consumes the staff of Pharaoh's uh, serpents, right? And so you see how God is more powerful than the serpent, even though that was kind of tied in with Pharaoh there in Exodus. And then you see it again in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Saul defeats an Ammonite general by the name of Nahash. Nahash is the exact same word that we see for serpent in Genesis chapter 3. It's just translated as serpent, and then it's his name there. Nahash wanted the destruction of the Jewish people, but yet Saul defeats him. We actually see it in an interesting part in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Many of y'all know that story, David and Goliath, right? And in David and Goliath, it talks about Goliath's uh, chain of mail in some translations. In other translations, it's chain of uh, scales. That word is actually used eight times throughout the entire Old Testament And that is the only time that it doesn't refer specifically to an animal. Every other time it deals with animals. But there, it's like he has serpent scales on as his armor. And so you see these glimpses of it throughout the Old Testament, tying this theme together of of the, the offspring of the serpent versus the offspring of the woman. But then you get to the New Testament. What does John the Baptist call the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they come trying to see what's going on as he's baptizing in the wilderness? He says, you brood of vipers. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 calls them the same thing. This theme throughout Scripture. We often look at Scripture and we look at it in one little section, one little verse, but you see this big picture. This is one chapter of the whole book, the acorn to the oak tree, that this battle is going on throughout history. And it continues. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. He will crush him underneath his feet. And then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it talks about how the dragon from ancient, known as devil and Satan, will be thrown down because of the blood of the lamb and that the lamb will reign. God is victorious. He has crushed sin. He has crushed Satan under his feet. Yes, there is pain and suffering for a little while. Yes, there is heartache and difficulties now. But Satan is like a a defanged snake because Christ has defeated him. He has smashed his head and he may be biting at our heels, but the pain of death is no longer there. Because Christ reigns victorious. He is the one who rules and reigns. You see offspring there is general, but he shall bruise your head. Christ has dealt the mortal blow to Satan, to the serpent. He no longer has any power. That is true for anyone who is in Christ, that he has won that battle for us, that we can trust in him, we can trust in his goodness, that when those temptations come, we can flee from them and run after Christ who saved us. 
He was crucified on the cross and dealt with the pain and suffering there in our place. You look at back at Genesis 2.15, he says, you will surely die. But yet Christ has taken that sacrifice on himself so that we can have eternal life with him. So that we can know him. While we can't get up to him, he has come down to us. The beauty of his victory Conquering death through resurrection. The last verse that we read, verse 21, says this. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You see, in their shame, they made garments of fig leaves, trying to cover it up themselves. But it didn't do the job. It couldn't do the job. But God in his mercy, in a foreshadowing of everything that is to come, met their needs right there. Giving them garments that they needed, paying the price for their sin. Have you accepted that sacrifice on your behalf today? Have you responded to the call of Christ when when he's called out to you saying, where are you? Why are you choosing to rebel? Why are you walking that path of destruction? Are you still on that path? My prayer is that today that if you are still lost in your sin, if you are still rebelling against God, that that ends today, but that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Stop believing the, the, the lies of the serpent, the twisting of God's word, the doubting of God's goodness, and realize that only he can save us. And if you are in Christ, my prayer is that you will rejoice in the gift of salvation that's been given to you. That you will realize the price that has been paid so that you can enter into the presence of a holy God. There's nothing. You cannot bring enough goodness to it. You cannot cannot clean yourself up enough, but yet Christ has made a way for you. So respond. As only God can lead you, respond. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house and to worship you and to praise you. Lord, my prayer is that we will follow wherever you lead, repenting of sin, turning to you, and trusting in you, our hope and our salvation. Lord, you have been so good to us, and you alone are worthy of praise. In your holy name we pray, amen.